Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying not a thing for it, but you want to help support, go give us a great review. It takes less than a minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read at least one new five-star review verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. I want to let our international listeners know we haven't forgotten about you. We're going to start taking some reviews from folks overseas. UK, I told you that you were up first. But you didn't give us any new reviews. Send us your five-star shout-outs from across the pond, and we'll do yours next week. Don't let me down, listeners from the UK. This week's reviews come from Canada instead. Good job, Canada. You didn't even know your week was coming up, and here it is. All right. Go, Canada. First up is T-Bone Dugs or T-Bone Dogs review entitled Top D&D News Podcast. The Tome Show and all its affiliated shows, The Roundtable, Behind the DM Screen, Appendix N, and D&D V&G are made with the distilled essence of natural 20s. They add three times their proficiency bonus to charisma performance checks related to all their podcasting efforts. The main hosts... Jeff Greiner, Tracy Hurley, and James and Chicasso, along with everyone else on their roster, are multi-class level 50 wizards and level 50 bards who have specialized feats in the art of podcastery. In addition, they have advantage on all their podcaster level checks made to release darn cool audio stuff from their mouth holes to my ears. This is always my first stop when I'm looking for the latest D&D news and reviews. 10 out of 10 would recover this occult podcast from the hands of vile cultists again. This might be the most creative review we've had so far. T-Bone Doog, thank you so much for everything. Or T-Bone Dog, whatever it is, you are amazing, sir. Our next review comes from Afet Bint Tuzani. Uh, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. The title of this review is The State of the Question in TRPGs. The Tome Show is a great way to keep up to date on what is happening with RPGs. I love the roundtable in particular. Woo! In addition to their great group of regular contributors, they often have industry guests, Wolfgang Bauer, Ed Greenwood, Mike Merles, etc., who bring insider perspectives to recent and past developments in the TRPG world. Highly recommend. Well, Afet, thank you so much for this review. You are one of our top listeners, so thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. All right, United Kingdom, your turn next week. Do not let me down. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. 
My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the Deep Magic Runebound Kickstarter exclusive from Cobalt Press. This is a super, super rare out-of-print find that's full of 733 spells for Pathfinder from Deep Magic, plus all of the other awesome fixings from that book like ready-made villains, new magic traditions, curses, subschools, chaos magic, runes, the list goes on and on. There's so, so much more. This special Kickstarter exclusive edition comes with a foil-stamped leatherette cover. It is a steal at $129.95. Get it now at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible? Or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. Get ready for an awesome set of interviews. Cobalt Press, one of the best third-party RPG publishing companies, is turning 10. The company's founder, Wolfgang Bauer, and designers Steve Winter and Brandon Hodge join me to look back on the storied history of Cobalt Press and talk about where the company is headed in the future. There's lots of great 5e Pathfinder, 13th Age, and more coming out of Cobalt Press, and Wolfgang has launched the careers of many, many talented designers. Simply put, Cobalt kicks butt. Let's roll these interviews. All right, today we are talking with some of the brilliant people who have worked on Cobalt Press products and no Cobalt Press conversation would be complete without Wolfgang Bauer. Wolfgang, welcome to the roundtable once again. How are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm always happy to be at the roundtable. Well, congratulations on the 10th anniversary of Cobalt Press. That is huge. It's a really, really big accomplishment, something to be very proud of. Uh, why don't you give the people out there who, for whatever reason, have never heard of Wolfgang Bauer some of your accomplishments, which I'm sure is impossible. <laughs> Uh, sure. I started writing for RPGs uh, when I was still in high school. Uh, I wrote for Dragon Magazine, but Dungeon Magazine even more. Eventually, I wound up working there at TSR in Lake Geneva, and I was fortunate to see Planescape and Alcadim and all the second edition setting explosion happen while I was I was with the company. Then I moved over to Wizards of the Coast for a while, worked on RPGs there, and after I left, I said, "Hey." What if I did all that publishing stuff? And I said, let's let's found a small press. Um, so, <laughs> mostly because I had no idea what I was getting into. But uh, but yeah, it's been ten years of um, of sort of seeing the other end of all that stuff that was magically taken care of by other people when I was working at TSR or Wizards. All of that was magically taken care of by me when I said, "Let's let's do uh, let's do a publishing venture." So I've been writing for Fifth Edition recently, Tyranny of Dragons, 
Um, and the Midgard campaign setting is my baby uh, at Cobalt Press. And I could go on for a while, but I won't. I have written many, many a uh, RPG thing and, and, and love them all. And I am sure we're going to get into a lot of those great products, uh, not the least of which, of course, is the Tome of Beasts, which I'm sure uh, mm-hmm. listeners of this show have probably uh, backed on Kickstarter. Uh, and if not, they've definitely yes. heard of it. So um, that is a huge, huge accomplishment. So congrats on that. And I'm excited to get my hands on a copy. Uh, Steve Ooh. Winter is also here, who is probably, again, no stranger to listeners out there. Stephen, welcome to the roundtable. It's lovely to have you. Oh, thanks. I'm I'm happy to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, career history with uh, role-playing games? Well, in in the broad outlines, not all that different from Wolf's. In, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I started working at, at TSR you know, not too long after I got out of college um, and did, you know, pretty much started there as an editor and, and kind of went on to doing just about every job there was. From you know editing, design, uh, managing editor, creative director over AD and D for quite a few years. Uh, ultimately, wound up out in Seattle and working for Wizards of the Coast as a for a while as a web producer, um, and as the editor of Dragon and Dungeon magazines. And now I'm uh, for the last few years I've just been doing freelance writing and design work. Nice. Uh, unlike Wolf, um, I. Uh, those things he mentioned that that magically happened in the background, um, I was one of the I was one of the people magically doing some of those things. <laughs> at TSR. Um, so I had perhaps a, a, a better notion of of how how onerous some of that work is, and so I've never really been all that tempted to go in to become my own publisher because I know what a what a nightmare and how much work that can be. It it astounds me sometimes that uh, that Wolf can you know, have a full-time day job and still produce the material he does. It's a, a tremendous labor. Yeah. Good help. Yeah. And you're, you're also a father, Wolfgang. So uh, yes. when do you sleep exactly? <laughs> what sleep? I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have a lot of good help, and it's, it's freelancers who make Cobalt Press run. I, I have long since realized that I am not the writing uh, side of the house anymore because there's just not enough, not enough hours. <laughs> well, and of course, uh, someone who helps out with that is Brandon Hodge. Again, probably no stranger to many of our listeners. Brandon, welcome to the roundtable. Lovely to have Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad uh, to be here. Brandon, why don't you give us a brief rundown of your career with RPGs? Well, uh, unlike these uh, these graybeards uh, sitting next to me, uh, long in the tooth as they may be, I'm relatively new to uh, to the scene. Uh, I guess uh, I was introduced to Wolfgang's open design then, as Cobalt Press was then known uh, by my friend and uh, and Paizo uh, Adventure Path. Uh, designer and developer Adam Daigle, mm-hmm. who had gotten involved in Wolfgang's, I believe it was Tales of Zobeck open design yes. project. And uh, the follow-up to that project was Halls of the Mountain King. And uh, although few who know my work would realize it, uh, in those days, I, I was uh, I had an affinity for, for the, the short, bearded, dwarven types. And so Adam hooked me into this project uh, on the promise that... Uh, 
all the years that we had spent talking about breaking into the industry could be accomplished with a, a few swift pitches uh, that would be wholeheartedly accepted by the open design audience. And, uh, and, and I, would, I would see the, the glorious light of publishing. Uh, <laughs> that's the promise always made. In this case, it was the promise kept. Uh, the first pitch I ever uh, submitted uh, for any RPG material of any sort was for the Halls of the Mountain King project. I was lucky enough to, uh, to actually best Sir Richard Pett, my dear friend, in, in the first opening round of the Halls of the Mountain King project. And the glory that I was promised by Mr. Daigle and Mr. Bauer uh, all came true. And, uh, and I went on to contribute uh, quite a chunk of that project. Uh, oh, yeah. The follow-up project there I pitched as a collaboration between Open Design and Paizo Publishing, which was our adventure from shore to sea. And uh, from then, I just realized I, uh, that I guess uh, adventure scripting was, was really in my blood and, uh, and just pursued that from a... Uh, from then on, I've I've been a an adventure path finale writer. I seem to have fallen into the uh, being a finale or in game writer for many of these projects, and uh, I've also turned some of my occult expertise into projects such as Paizo's Occult Adventures and the more recent House on Hook Street. So true, a very meteoric rise, uh, as they say. So uh, you know, it's it's awesome, awesome to have you here, and it's really inspiring to hear that your first pitch uh, was your first job. So um, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, true. That genius. Out. Wolfgang <laughs> promises he didn't rig the votes. So I totally didn't, man. You knocked it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's something earned for sure, uh, and I think you can see that in all of your work. Uh, that clearly you were ready to do this from. From the get-go which is amazing um so we have uh, you know we have like a dream team here um that we're going to talk about the history of cobalt press kind of because it has been 10 years wolfgang that you have been uh-huh. running this company as the cobalt in chief as it were so why don't you take us back 10 years ago Ten how was this company ago. founded in the mists of, wow, <laughs> 10 years ago. Well, this was a time when live journals still stalked the internets. Um, and we can blame <laughs> the fact that I that there was no Facebook and I wasn't on a blogger platform. None of that existed. So there was no Twitter. What did I do with myself? Um, what I did with myself is I posted on live journal uh, about game design and RPGs and freelancing. And one day, March 20th, 2006 i said hey guys i'm posting because i think it would be cool to to do a project that appears in print and that i publish wouldn't that be cool i bet it's easy yeah i put up a tip jar and i said yeah throw some money in the hat people i'll buy cover art i swear it'll be awesome (laughs) and and it was probably midnight or you know late at night i thought this was an awesome idea and i could somehow figure out how you actually print books or maybe just do it PDF style. And I closed the blog post, put it up there, and said, eh, it'll be nothing in the morning. We'll move on. <laughs> um, and in the morning, it was like, whoa, look, 30 bucks, man. I got 30 bucks. <laughs> you were on your way. <laughs> well, yeah, frankly, it was exciting to have fans just directly say, yeah, we want you to do a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, do that thing. And I was over the moon because it's like, man, I always have to go through 
this long involved process with TSR and query letters and you know, all of this. What I didn't realize, of course, was, yeah, all that stuff that I called the magic that happens behind the scenes and that Steve knows all too well um, <laughs> was now suddenly my responsibility. Things like layouts or art assignments or contracts or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, paying the cover artist. But I didn't care. It was very exciting. So the first project was called Steam and Brass, and it was sort of both the seed of the company, and it was the first installment of the Midgard campaign setting, which came along, oh, I would say six years later. We pub- By six years later, Cobalt Press was publishing a hardcover campaign setting. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot in those six years, and I, I look, you know, I look at... Midgard, and I say, wow, that's pretty amazing. Um, in the pre-Kickstarter days, patron-funded work. Um, but it was all done uh, in the early days, especially, with brainstorming and community involvement at the heart of it. And so what Brandon says about just showing up and, and pitching an adventure, that's sort of the way it was done, right? The first five or six products that I did as open design were hey, let's hash it out on a message board. Let's play test it. Let's talk about it in some forums. And and the brainstorm and the concepting was wide open, um, which was pretty exciting too, because it wasn't just like, you know, people putting money in a hat to pay for art. It was also people talking over, well, is this adventure going to be better this way or that way? And what does the play test show? So a real sense of community involvement early on that we have kept to this day. Cobalt Press still does uh, open calls for new designers every year. Um, and even things like the Tome of Beasts, our, our newest Kickstarter, which went, there was an open call to all the backers saying, send us a monster for the Tome of Beasts and we'll take the best ones and put them in the book, which, you know, draws a direct line of descent back to the first days of the company where it was we have an open door policy. I either credit or blame my time in the magazine business with this because I was always willing to read the slush pile. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Steve knows what that's like. Sometimes it's a delight and you find something awesome. And other times it's like, okay, <laughs> let's just say no politely and move on. Right. Because, uh, because 90% of the slush pile is just not that great or, or just sort of, it's been done. It's, it's an awful lot of it is, is things that you've seen before dozens of times, right? But yeah. Yeah. You're always hopeful and optimistic going to a slush pile, but that was sort of the premise of open design. That's why the name is what it is, right? We have an open door. Everybody can step in. And some people who step in, um, like show up and knock it out of the park home run style, like Brandon does. (laughs) Uh, And I'm real happy about that as, as part of the company history that, you know, I can point to probably five people who all have gone on to rather lengthy and prominent careers in in RPGs because they said, eh, I'll try this thing, see if I like it, see if anybody listens. And wow, people liked it and it got published. So finding new people is has been a big part of Cobalt Press from the start. Well, and in some cases, as you allude to there, I mean, in the case of Halls of the Mountain King, and this isn't tooting my own horn, it's just an, an example of, <laughs> of uh, how just one idea can totally change the nature of a project. I mean, in that case, yeah. we were looking at you know a very sort of 
orcs or goblins versus dwarves and the minds of Moria sort of. Um, oh, it was so you know, traditional. Sort of, yeah, very traditional dwarven, you know, abandoned dwarven mind dungeon crawl. And I came in with the idea of, no, what if, you know, the, what if we play with the concept of a secret cabal of Freemason dwarves that led to their own destruction? And it was this internal rot that uh, that filtered through to, to, to the ultimate destruction of this. And that's what I pitched. And it I mean, we had to put on the brakes and do a total 180 when that pitch <laughs> got accepted because it, it, it changed the entire nature of the project. Yeah, but it was wonderful, right? It was like that crystal that that sparks the whole thing, right? Everything falls out of the solution because oh, I could just see everyone's ears go, right? What? <laughs> that is a great idea. Let's do that. And I'm sort of sitting there going, that is a great idea, and I'm going to have to throw away everything so far, but it's going <laughs> to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. You know, the fact that you're willing to do that, the fact that you're willing to say, you know, this is the better idea, this is ultimately going to be the better product, and you're getting those ideas from people who maybe have not had a, a shot before or uh, and listening to those, you know, ideas that come out of the slush pile and that kind of thing. Ultimately, if you're willing to put in the work, and that is a lot of work, sorting through the slush pile and throwing away things you've done in service of a better idea, um, you ultimately do end up with a much, much better creative product and library of products to offer people. That's the secret of success is... Uh, at least it has been for us, is find new talent before anybody else does, <laughs> right? Um, and, and support that. And then, yeah, playtest the heck out of stuff has always been part of it. And try to go where people are excited, right? I mean, a lot of it early on was, let's do a poll, let's do a poll, let's do a poll. Because on a message board in particular, the danger of that technique is he who shouts loudest wins, right? <laughs> And if somebody posts 50 times a day saying, my idea is best, my idea is best, you can get off on a wrong track pretty quickly. So a lot of it was was validated through playtest and through polling the much larger community of people who never really post, but they're willing to vote and say, that loud mouth is full of, you know, whatever. <laughs> or say, that mouth, loud mouth is so right. Why uh -huh. aren't you listening, right? That sounds like a <laughs> technique I have seen used before, and I can't. <laughs> think of what massive playtest might have used that. <laughs> uh. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, that is a technique that Cobalt Press started with 10 years ago, and it Paizo does these big open playtests, and certainly did for Pathfinder. Wizards of the Coast did big, it still does big open playtests, and they're really valuable. I, I think the fact that community involvement is much, much richer now than it ever was in the TSR days is a step in the right direction for the hobby and really satisfying for people who get to see some of their feedback acknowledged and, and rolled into um, an adventure, a core rulebook, something like that. I mean, Steve, you remember the TSR product process was smoke-filled back rooms with cigars, right? I mean, that was... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we did on second edition, we had an enormous playtest that uh, took almost a year, but it, it had to be coordinated completely uh, through the pages of Dragon Magazine and right. phone calls and, and, you know, snail mail letters uh, back and forth to hundreds of playtesters. So that was a huge undertaking. 
you know, just just the logistics of that uh, were were incredible. It was a lot harder pre-internet. I yeah. Steve, you um, you know, you were you were with Wizards of the Coast too for a long time, even when they were you know uh, transitioning over to fifth edition. Uh, at what point did you decide to leave, and did you start working with Wolfgang? It, my last gig at Wizards was as the uh, editor of Dragon and Dungeon magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did that. I had two two shifts in that role, um, and when I left there, that was what 2013. Um, and it, it just the timing was perfect. I I left Wizards, and uh, I like a week before I my last day. I think somewhere in that neighborhood, I got an email from Wolf saying, "Hey, let's have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, I have a you know something I'd like to discuss with you." And so the I mean the timing was perfect. I was I was uh, at that point you know ready to launch uh, into full time freelance, and suddenly here was Wolf with an enormous project that needed a full time writer. No, I love those adventures. Um, that was a great introduction, I think, for a lot of people, not just to 5th edition, but to D&D. The number of new people, it seems like, who have jumped on to D&D as, and now as a gateway to sort of other role-playing games and stuff like that has been enormous. And I think the fact that there was an adventure ready to roll at launch that was a good adventure really made the difference, you know, um, because it meant... It, it, you didn't have to wait for months for the monster manual and uh, the dungeon master's guide to come out. You already had something ready to run. And, and it was, it was great hearing the conversations and reading the conversations of, of gamers in that everyone had that common experience, you know, and some people loved it and some people hated it, but everybody was talking about an you know, horde of the dragon queen. And I got to tell you for, for me, the, <laughs> uh, uh, the the kicking of myself I have done since those days, because if Wolfgang will, will recall, I got a very cryptic email that said, Brandon, Steve and I are up to something. I cannot tell you what it is. Are you in? <laughs> and I it's had the most say, oh, cryptic gosh, I've ever been. No. Yeah, it, yeah it, it could not have been more cryptic. <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was like three sentences. That's it. Can you do it? You know, I can't tell yeah. you what it is. Can you do it? And I said, I cannot. I, you know, and uh, and look what it wound up being. It had had uh, I only well, known, with, Steve, with a note like that, it could have been knocking over a Seven you Eleven. Know? <laughs> well, we're doing a bad I, job, I Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> You're from Texas. You're the muscle, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> uh, so, Brandon, when you approached Wolfgang. I, 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 was it at a convention? Did you send him an email? Did you write him a letter? Like, what? How did you uh, get in on the the sort of ground floor of working on this adventure with him? Well, I bought it. And I mean, in those days, open design structure was. And gosh, correct me if I'm wrong, Wolfgang. You could buy in at basic levels to get the product. You could buy in at higher levels for the opportunity yep. to pitch. And so yes. I bought it at higher levels. So so there was really no. Um, there was no personal introduction between us. It was literally my first email was not my pitch, my or my first message on the then live journal boards uh, was on January 7th. I believe it was 2008 or 2009. Wow. And it said, 
Um, God, has it been that long? Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. sounds right. So uh, it was uh, on January 7th. I'll never forget the date. And it just said, listen up, everybody. Here's how it needs to be. Freemason dwarves. And, and it was just this long rambling you know, I've read everything everybody's contributed. I think, and yeah, that's when it steered off. It wasn't just the pitch. So my introduction to Wolfgang was literally, "Hey, uh, that's great. I'm gonna, you know, uh, I'm gonna park my territory over in this corner and see how many uh, join over here." And you know, just yeah. Uh, my first like reaction said, was, "What? <laughs> right? Who is this guy?" <laughs> but I think it Why goes to show risk taking right is is not necessarily a bad thing if you can do it in a forum where you are supposed to do that kind of thing i don't think Correct. people should be accosting wolfgang on the street yelling their ideas at him um but you know if, if, if <laughs> there is work. an open forum for that kind of thing go ahead and, and check it out like you said you're still doing all sorts of things where you're taking open submissions which is yeah uh, and i mean you don't even need to buy in anymore right i mean back in the day it was like 20 bucks to get the product or 50 bucks if you wanted to pitch or something like that um and that was how we funded it now it's like well once a year on the the cobalt press blog we just say okay this year we're doing the deep magic contest it's all spells send us your spells or uh we're doing layers send us your layer um and we still get oh man somewhere between 100 and 200 entries most years um which isn't doesn't seem like a lot <laughs> when you think of like, well, what would Wizards of the Coast do if they did this? But, you know, it's pretty much just me and Steve and, you know, just a couple of people reading these uh, and trying to, to pick the finalists. So um, every year it's surprising. You, you take the top five and they're all talented and we sort of sit there and scratch our heads as as judges saying, well, this is pretty good. Well, I like this one. I don't know. I guess we're going to put it up to a public vote. and that's sort of where we go back to the old school thing of, well, you test it through polling, right? Cause the judges all have their favorites and these open calls. Like I know Steve has certain things he likes and I'm a sucker for whatever ghouls and the undead, right? Everybody knows it. So they send me the undead monster. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, okay, you're catering to me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> send me, send me something set in the jungle with a giant ape in it. And you're, you're gold. See? <laughs> See, so every judge. And I think with Brandon, it would be like, okay, something occult or spiritualist oriented, mm -hmm. maybe some Masonic flavor. <laughs> would go over creepy village so, i love to do a creepy village creepy villages are good <laughs> um but so we all have our our things and we're all stumping for our favorites and then you know we need to put it out to the public and and cobalt press uh customers fans random people on the internet wind up voting for the winner and, and picking somebody who winds up with a publishing contract on most of these so yeah we did one just recently uh, and we'll, I guess we're we're due for one this spring. Oh, I better get on. <laughs> well, what's going to be very very cool is you know what you guys have to come in the future, and I think we'll definitely touch on that. Um, but I'd love to touch on the past too a little bit. Uh, you've all worked on a lot of products for Cobalt, so I want to just go around the table real fast. And Wolfgang, we'll do you last because you've literally touched everything the company has made, uh, and talk about what are some of your favorite Cobalt products that you've had a chance to work on like if you could pick one thing and say i'm really proud of this this was great and it came out of cobalt uh you know what would it be and let's start with you brandon 
Wow, that is a tough one. I mean, uh, we've talked a lot about Halls of the Mountain King. That's very close to my heart. But I want to say the most fun that we had beyond corrupt Freemason dwarves was probably with the campaign setting. Because uh, I was given one quarter. I, well, I don't know if it was quite one quarter, but uh, the, with the way we divvied up the map, I ended up with the Wasted West. And for those familiar with the Midgard campaign setting, the Wasted West is the result of a ages-old magical war between uh, rival um, arcane empires where they essentially summoned in the great old ones uh, <laughs> to, to, to duke it out for one another. And uh, essentially a, a magical truce was, was eventually reached and which froze all of them in stasis. So you have this... Um, dystopian post-apocalyptic wasteland uh, is set, you know, in a, in a big chunk of Midgard's uh, primary continent uh, where you just have these frozen in stasis great old ones just sort of standing in place, moving an inch a year sort of thing. And uh, no one's quite sure how secure these old truces are that was just so much fun to play with the collaboration i really miss as a freelancer those days of of having that brain trust when you were talking about something so crazy gonzo as as that and just having everyone contribute to it um you know all right everybody you know pitch your ideas for what one of these frozen great old ones would look like and you just get dozens and and being in charge of that you know those particular details you could just go through and like steve was talking about sort of pick through like you're going through the slush pile right and pick the best ones lots of inspiration in that and uh and then just weird areas how do people live around these things you know what you know how, how is society structured uh with the survivors uh uh, and different tribes that live in this area. And it was, and then how did those on the border react? And, uh, you know, and it abuts up to an elven kingdom, you know, where you've got a bunch of, of, uh, freaky xenophobic, you know, tree huggers on the other <laughs> side of the border. Uh, how do they react to the fact that there's this desolate wasteland just on the other side of the river? So that was so much fun. I, I, I always enjoyed the open design, collaborations with the, the larger body politic as it were but that one was probably the the most fun i i ever had and and i'll, I'll always treasure uh that experience sure and talk about a massive massive undertaking that was enormous uh that that midgard campaign setting and it keeps getting bigger southlands uh you know which you can plop yes. right in there <laughs> uh, yes makes it even bigger and better which is amazing it is one of the best, if not the greatest, campaign setting out there. Um, so it's it's awesome to hear that. Uh, Steve, what about you? What's one of your favorite projects that you've worked on with Cobalt? Uh, well, I mean, I, I had a great time working on uh, on the Rise of Tiamat Adventures, which is you know was sort of, of a, a Cobalt Wizards co-production, I guess. I've always had a, a lot of fun working on the the small books, right? Like the uh, the guide, the combat guide, and the magic guide. Uh, those essays are are always a lot of fun to write, even though they're, I mean, they're they're small jobs, but uh, you almost always get to tackle um, some unusual topic that you you can't really deal with in any other venue. But actually, one of the I, I would say the thing that I've done with Wolf that I I had the most fun working on is uh, the series of blog posts that I just recently oh, yeah. did on. Uh, 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 deconstructing 
the math in the monster manual, in the fifth edition monster manual, uh, with all the work I've been doing on monsters over the last uh, year or two, I really had to to dive into that book and and pick it apart and you know understand uh, how the, how Wizards was putting those things together, and it it uh, it just it coincided with a lot of other things that were drawing my attention at the time. But I had a huge amount of fun, you know, spending and the amount of time I put into those articles wasn't even scratched by the amount of money that Wolf paid me for them, <laughs> but. But the uh, you know the the personal satisfaction that I got from working on them you know spending hours in front of Excel uh, you know uh, building pivot tables and, and, uh, and charts. Uh, yeah, and what I right. saw the tables and charts, Steve. I was like, oh my goodness, this people are going <laughs> to flip because really it just broke it all down, and it's like I don't even want to know how much Excel work went into. Uh, I mean, you reverse engineered the entire math of fifth edition monsters, basically, and it was just wonderful to see. Yeah, and fortunately, I enjoy doing that kind of thing. So, so uh, <laughs> that, that was that was. Uh, uh, I'm sure it would have driven a lot of people insane, but I had a wonderful time working on those. That's and great. I think I still owe you the last installment. I haven't had time to, to get that one done yet. And a lot of other things cooking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wolfgang, what about you? If if you had to pick something to call your favorite, uh, what would you pick? And we promise we won't hold you to it. So yeah, see, this is this is brutal because I have um, have the whole run of whatever it is now two hundred Cobalt Press products to choose from. Um, it's. On the one hand, my usual answer is the thing I'm working on right this very second <laughs> is my favorite. Um, and I'm having a blast with Toma Beast. So that, that would be a reasonable answer. But I think I'm going to reach back a little further and, and stretch out a bit um, and say, you know, I think just in terms of like sheer delight and, and being able to um, and realize a, a vision of something that that people got something that was a little bit niche i think courts of the shadow fey is right up there um and it was written for fourth edition of all things um and i ran a play test at home and and went through all kinds of crazy work because it basically is my love of the plane of shadow uh dark mysterious and nasty fey villains um, and courtly drama and intrigue adventure uh, with a whole lot of bloodshed. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I got to hit all of my favorite notes because I was the main author on the fourth edition version and, and uh, Ben McFarlane did the, uh, the Pathfinder version. Mm -hmm. And it turned out, uh, it turned out really well. The people who've played it uh, pretty much universally say, yeah, that feels like a fey adventure. It feels otherworldly, weird, and strange. And my players had a blast um, because of some of the ways it's designed to force certain choices. So I don't know. I still get mail on it. I still think, eh, I wonder if we should do a fifth edition version of that. <laughs> right? Um, and it has sprawled out into the Midgard setting. And the, the race of the Shadow Fey has become a player character race that's in... Uh, in the Midgard Heroes for 5th Edition, and it's in the Advanced Races Compendium for Pathfinder, and it's just like, okay, that was a success. Uh, people are playing these characters, and this adventure still gets uh, 
still gets nice notices, I don't know, five years later, six years later now. I'll pick that one today. If you ask me tomorrow, I'll have a different app. Cobalt is known for many, many things. I think people should check out all your various complete guides. Those are amazing insights into the brains of a lot of people in the industry. Um, you know, uh, the Tome of Beasts is going to be the most amazing monster book that we've ever seen. There's going to be lairs in the Book of Lairs that are going to blow us away, no doubt. But... I When I think of Cobalt, I also think of you as the place where I know I can get really quality, great adventures. And, you know, when I think about the three of you, I think of you all as, like, amazing, amazing adventure designers, which, for me, as a, as a DM, are, like, the most important thing. Because even if I don't play an adventure cover to cover, I'm stealing stuff from everything I buy, you know? Um, so... I guess when when you are thinking about Cobalt, what is it that you guys think like, you know, Cobalt does this really, really well better than anybody else? Uh, and, you know, Wolfgang, we can we can start with you on this one because I sure. think you have some ideas. Well, I, I think the answer for a long time, pretty much up until Tyranny of Dragons, the answer was Cobalt does the niche oddball things better than anyone, right? <laughs> Because, let's face it, Freemason dwarves or a, a shadow courtly elf adventure or, um, you know, wandering the wastes with the old ones are sort of not standard high fantasy. And a lot of the adventures from Cobalt Press go pretty far off the beaten path. The sea voyages and journeys to the west, the evil little village and from shore to sea. We just, we pick on things that aren't dungeon crawls um, and mega dungeons and sort of traditional ragtag fellowship goes to throw ring and volcano. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, right? I mean, my TSR career was al Qadim and Planescape sorts of things. And now it's like, well, I want to do the Southlands. Let's do non-European fantasy and let's do all of it, right? Let's do the Arabs. Let's do the desert. Let's do Egyptian-themed and jungles with ape temples. Yeah, let's call that the Southlands. And, oh, let's put some pirates along the coast, right? It's like, well, is that a standard fantasy setting? No, but it's a very cobalt sort of fantasy setting. Um, and now I say until Tyranny of Dragons, right? Because that's where we said, <laughs> you're going to let us play around in the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> Yeah, we're in. <laughs> um, but it meant it meant doing things in a different way, right? Because it's like, well, we have to hit some of the tropes. Um, and certainly comfortable. <laughs> Had a great time in the realms. But, uh, but a standard Cobalt product isn't standard at all. You know, that ties along with my idea about adventures because, for me, what makes a great adventure is a, you know, specific story. Uh, the same way, you know, specificity is the soul of narrative, right? So I think the, the yeah. weirder and the more niche it is, the more specific you can get. And that's awesome. And it's also, you know, uh, high fantasy, you can go get a high fantasy adventure pretty much anywhere these days. So it is great to be able to go grab something super weird, um, you know, because uh, I guess old older people who are running adventures want to be able to run something different and surprise their players, which is really nice. Uh, Steve, what about you? Uh, what do you think Cobalt does really, really well? I would amplify a little bit on on what Wolf just said. Everybody who's publishing things for for fantasy RPGs, whatever they might be, 
you know, everybody wants to try and, and hit that, that oddball thing that no one has done before. And if you go to drive through RPG or, or uh, uh, you know, any of the other online uh, PDF sellers, you'll find all kinds of I mean, really oddball, unique takes on things. So that alone does not make you unique. But I think what makes Kobold unique is that that kind of thing is so, so easy to screw up and just <laughs> make really bad. Uh-huh. And, and Kobold, you know, over and over and over does it really well. Um, you know, when you when you can give someone an you know an odd setting, it, it's kind of the Doritos question, right? Nobody knew they wanted Doritos until there were Doritos available, <laughs> and right, <laughs> and nobody knows that they them. exactly, and nobody knows that they wanted this oddball uh, fantasy setting that they'd never thought of before until they see it. But when you see it and and it's good, and it's exactly what you wanted, even though you didn't know you wanted it. You know that that's a real uh, that's a real trick to pull off. And you know, uh, Wolf and Kobold have done it repeatedly. You know, it, it, a lot of people can might be able to do it once, but to do it over and over and over again is a you know that's a talent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's the nailing it uh, that really makes that special, right? Um, anybody can do something weird, but uh, to do weird well takes that takes talent and it takes a lot a lot of hard work uh brandon what about you what do you think cobalt does really well well you know i think i'll i'll take the the ball that that they've left rolling there and keep rolling it forward for me the collaboration that leads to uh effective world building i mean there's already you know the cobalt guide to, to world building available but i felt uh in in my in my tenure there that the considerations we put behind uh, everything from culture to culture uh, was was done incredibly effectively. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the elves on the border of the Wasted West. Well, you know, so we build them. Our, how would they defend themselves against these incursions of these weird mutated goblins? OK, well, you know, they've got these fey trees with with, you know, bladed leaves. And that's one of their defense mechanisms. OK, well, how does that affect their neighbors on the other side? And uh, and so those neighbors, well, they they have this defense against that and they're doing these incursions here. Okay. Well, if they're doing that, what about the guys on their, on their Eastern border uh, while they're distracted with dealing with the elves on that? What are these guys doing because of that vacuum they've left? And those webs seep out from a common core all the way across the map. And to watch that in effect, as it pertains to the campaign setting, especially between different writers who had different leaderships over different sections sort of leaving them with that and going, okay, you know, here's what I've left you here. And then watch them and their patrons take that and mold it and shape it. And it just, it spread across the map. And uh, I don't know that it was by design, but it, it sure was effective. And it sure, sure made a convincing product where you, for all these oddball cultures that we're working with um, and, and non, I would say non-traditional rather than oddball. Um, it sure, uh, can seem it sure seems more realistic than other campaign settings whether they be kitchen sink or otherwise it sure seems very effective and realistic for something that's so high fantasy and non-traditional nice nice well before we get going because i know we're going to need to wrap up soon uh 
Brandon, Steve, I need to have you guys come back because we need to talk about you both personally, just your careers in gaming and stuff. So maybe we'll get you on our Gamer to Gamer podcast on the Tone Anytime. Show. Anytime. Um, would, be, would be lovely. But before we go, I'd love to talk a little bit about anything you can talk about that is coming up for Cobalt Press, Wolfgang. It would be great to hear. And Steve and Brandon, feel free to jump in uh, as the, the case may be. Yeah, well, I'll I'll name one for Pathfinder and one for Fifth Edition. Um, I've got a lot of things cooking, but one of them is a near and dear to me sort of piece. It's uh, Wrath of the River King for Pathfinder. Um, this is an adventure we did way back when, when it was sort of exclusive to a small audience, and the public at large has never seen it. Um, and it's in that forest section that Brandon was just talking about, warded against darkness. Um, and it's a romp. It's a wonderful romp um, through a campaign world and a section that basically says elves aren't like humans. If you're going to go wandering around the elf lands, things are going to get weird. Um, and so Wrath of the River King is coming for Pathfinder this spring. Um, with new art um, and, and a wonderful write-up on Pathfinder Mechanics by Ben McFarland. I'm really excited about that one because I think it never quite got the audience it, it deserved uh, when it was originally released for 4th edition. Um, and then the other one is sort of the big obvious one. It's like, well, we're doing Tome of Beasts <laughs> and it's amazing, right? It's the big monster book I've been dreaming of since I was about 12 um, and, and just, I, I don't know where to start with that. Every time I'm like, yeah, but it's got 400 monsters. You should see the art. It's amazing. <laughs> We're doing devil Lords and oh yeah. Fae Lords and ladies and you know the Lord of the hunts in there. The archdevil mammon is in there and oh, tiny little monsters, swarms of things. Um, stuff from the Southlands we picked up all new monsters, 20 monsters written by, by backers of the project. Those are some amazing creations. Um, so it's got some of everything. It skews a little higher in the challenge rating than the, the fifth edition monster manual does. Cause our assumption was my assumption was by the time you pick up your second or third monster man, your campaign's been around a while and you probably <laughs> don't need you don't need quite as many CR one quarter or CR one monsters as you did. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have some of those cause Hey, there's 400 of them, but um, but the tilt is slightly higher in, in challenge for those monsters. And I'm, I'm just so pleased with the incredible amount of play test and attention development, editing, um, fact checking everything that's going into it. So that's coming this summer for fifth edition. Um, the pre-orders available now, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things. I'm really proud of this book. Oh, sure. And speaking as a, a just a play tester, someone who has not seen any of the art except for the previews you guys have put up online and through Kickstarter and stuff, and, you know, seeing a lot of monsters that are still in development and that kind of thing, it's already worth the price of admission. Uh, so many cool monsters to uh, inspire you in your stories, to throw at your players that they have never heard of before or only heard of in literature or whatever, and, uh, you know, it's great great to see them uh, try to work something out that they really don't know what it is the same way their characters wouldn't know what it is. Um, so it's it's been a blast just playtesting that. Yeah, if we can bring that sense of wonder back into play because some monsters are too familiar and it's <laughs> nice to 
remember what it's like when you don't know anything about them. Um, yeah, that's that's always a win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, how about you, Steve? Uh, anything fun coming down the pike that you want to plug? Um, well, it, the thing that I'm uh, most heavily involved in with Wolf right now is something he tells me hasn't been announced to the public yet. So I, I <laughs> yeah. the last thing I want to do is steal his thunder and say something <laughs> specific about it. Uh, but I can say that you know I haven't gotten too deeply into it yet. But what I've seen has been pretty cool. Um, the the Tome of Beasts, uh, you know, I'll I'll echo what Wolf said about that. It it was it, it's quite a book. My involvement with the Tome of Beasts and with the other the other monster uh, products that I've been working on is is so heavily mechanical. You know, I'm I am just steeped in the numbers, trying to make sure that all the numbers are are correct. Um, and it, and that all the, you know, the, the actual rules of the monsters are complete and they're working the way they're supposed to. It's, and it's really easy when you're up to your eyeballs in that to sort of lose sight of the, the story aspects of the monsters. You know, the monster is no longer, you don't see it as a cool, <laughs> uh, a cool story element. You just, you see it as, you know, it's like looking at the matrix, right? It's a, it's, it's columns of green numbers streaming past you on the screen. Um, you're, you're looking at the code and you're not really seeing the, the uh, end result so much. So it, it's really encouraging when I hear people, you know, uh, saying that they, that they had fun playing with those monsters. You know, that, that reminds me why I was doing all of that. Totally. Well, thank you for all of the work that you are doing, because it's definitely going to pay off. And Brandon, how about you? Anything you're working on with Wolfgang that you're allowed to talk about? <laughs> well, yeah, I have a little bit different relationship there. I can certainly talk about it because uh, Wolfgang and I now these days, as he knows, I tend to uh, wander off uh, following very bizarre uh, esoteric uh, meanderings, if you will. And I'm still kind of coming off Occult Adventures. My home campaign is an outgrowth of, of House on Hook Street, which is an outgrowth of my work in Occult Adventures. I did work for Horror Adventures coming out from Paizo as well. So I still have all this stuff sort of percolating in my brain. I haven't quite turned off work mode in that regard. And it's because I've, I've returned to, to game mastering my, my uh, home game. And so just yesterday, I actually produced content that I can talk about because Wolfgang hasn't yet created the product for it, but he'll <laughs> eventually get it. And uh, I've been uh, really intrigued with the the legends of black dogs, uh, the black shuck legends uh, of, of uh, England and uh, the eastern seaboard here in the States. And so just yesterday, for no reason, uh, nowhere to put it, I, I created a, a new spiritualist archetype called the Black Hound Master, that rather than creating a phantom, creates one of these churchyard hounds, these spectral hounds of legend, and that is the phantom that they control. And so like I did with Vril for Deep Magic, which I wrote the entire Vril section, I had just kind of worked on that stuff with no place to put it until deep magic came along and then, Oh, you're in luck, Wolfgang. I produced all this content. And, and so eventually Wolfgang will come along and with a product where the, uh, the black hound master will, will fit nice. And by that time I'll probably have some complimentary player options for that. And I'll just hand him a pile of stuff and <laughs> trade him for a copy of the book. And, uh, and then he can go back Brandon, in time and say, you, you spoiled the content. This is amazing. You, you seem to have this view into the future. We should talk. Um, oh, okay. Well, I'm spoiling things after all. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. 
Glad to hear it. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming. Wolfgang, congratulations on 10 years. That is an amazing, amazing milestone and accomplishment. Thank you. Um, before we go, let's just go around the table. Where can people find you on the internet, Wolfgang? Well, you can find me at coboldpress.com. You can find me on Twitter as at Monkey King. Uh, I'm on Facebook too, but you know, Twitter. Um, and where else? Oh, and I have a newsletter. I have the Cobalt Press newsletter. It's called The Courier, and it's really hard to sign up for because we don't want to spam you. But if you go to the very, very bottom of CobaltPress.com, uh, there's a secret sign-up space at the bottom of that webpage. So, oh, and it's great because it's like the most non-newslettery newsletter. Um, you know, there's little know. pieces of we don't inspiration want to and that kind of thing. It's awesome. How about you, Steve? Where can people find you on the internet? Best place at this point really is also Cobalt Press. Um, the, uh, I sort of migrated my blog, Howling Tower, over to Cobalt Press a few <laughs> years ago. Uh, theoretically, I still post things at howlingtower.com as well, although uh, that's so irregular that I, I don't want to give anyone false hope. And I'm on Twitter as at stvwinter. Uh, although what I post there tends to be even more irregular than everywhere else. So. <laughs> and Brandon, where can people find you? Uh, I merge all of my RPG endeavors into my greater uh, occult and, and spirit communication history uh, research, which is all available at my website, mysteriousplanchette.com, uh, which includes uh, my collecting, uh, my occult collecting endeavors and, and research into spirit communication devices. And from there, there are links to my Facebook outlet for that, as well as my Instagram feed, which uh, is, tends to be my, my medium of choice, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and so that, that, again, that merges my RPG, and, but it's very heavy on the, the spirit communication research that I, I uh, do into devices. So that's pretty much uh, how to find me. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you all so much for being on the roundtable today. Absolutely. Thanks for having oh, us. Thank you. Pleased to be here. All right, everybody. Now it is just myself and the Cobalt in Chief, Wolfgang Bauer. It is actually uh, about two weeks after we first recorded, um, but we are we are here on the same podcast. It's instantaneous for you, Wolfgang. Welcome back. Hey, like no time passed at all. It is. It is. Uh, so, Wolfgang, there are some other really exciting projects that we should talk about for Cobalt. So, what kind of stuff do you have uh, going on on the site uh, for the tenth anniversary? We are. Uh, we sort of lost our minds and done a cool little sale <laughs> with stuff that uh, you know how it is in a warehouse. Sometimes things mm -hmm. get shuffled away and. Sometimes you say, why do I have six of this special edition sitting here on my shelf? I could find new homes for five of them. <laughs> uh, so we have odds and ends and weird coolnesses. And we commissioned um, an awesome new shirt, which is full color. And this sort of royal blue, navy blue kind of shirt um, that we're kicking off on. I mean, it's it's not a... 10th anniversary shirt officially, but it kind of is. So, <laughs> uh, this is the, the this is the shirt people are getting. It's not like there's a 10th anniversary shirt coming in addition to this one. No, no, this one is uh, uh, it's just hot off the presses, and it features uh, Cobalt Chieftain uh, doing 
doing as fierce a cobalt roar and stance as is possible for a scrawny, you know, 75-pound cobalt chieftain. Um, it's pretty cool. It's got our, our logo on the back, and you can check it out on the site. We're, uh, we're just doing a little run of those. We love the shirt and, and figured we should do – it was time. I, the last shirt was like Southlands. It's last year. <laughs> it's time ran for out another shirt. Yeah, um, but the other stuff is like odds and ends and coolnesses, like things that uh, a couple of them you're going to have to hunt for uh, on the Cobalt Store. Um, I think there's a couple of the Kickstarter exclusives, but like you know, two copies. So if they're gone by the time you hear this, I'm sorry. But <laughs> um, well, we figured we'd put up some real treasures and some oddities and see if people like them. And we're also doing a, a sale. Uh, knocking twenty percent off uh, everything on the store. So. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And hey, how long does that sale run? Until I press stop. Um, <laughs> I, at the time of recording, the end date has not yet been determined. It's either a twenty-four hour or a one-week sale. It won't last very long. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, people should definitely then do everything in their power to get to your website right now and start buying stuff. What is that website just for people? So they oh, that would be coboldpress.com, and it's uh, the store links at the top of the page, I believe. So. Can't be simpler than that, right? So. Um. Pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and let's, uh, why don't we talk about a possible revisit to Midgard is what I've heard. Uh, yeah. Out there. Other big news is that I've, uh, I realized, you know, it's been 10 years, the company, and it's already been four years since we shipped Midgard. If I actually want to ship a new copy of the campaign setting five years after the first one, which seems like quite a length of time, a lot has happened. <laughs> Um, then, you know, we better get working. So <laughs> I'm happy to announce that, uh, yeah, the Midgard campaign setting is going to get a refresh in 2017 and we're, we've started work on it now. We're, uh, we're talking about art. We're talking about cartography. Anna Meyer, um, just did an interview on the Cobalt site where she talks about her work and she's, uh, she's working hard on the core Midgard setting, bringing that map, um, up to the level of the Southlands map, for those who are familiar with oh, that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, she's working the software and um, and just doing this fantastic job. She's actually got a sketch of the whole, um, I keep wanting to say globe, but I, what I mean is disc, because of course it's flat. Uh, the whole <laughs> disc of Midgard, the world, sort of sketched out, and she's, uh, she's working on Loki's Island and Hyperborea and uh, she's got a lot of detail coming in on the Grand Duchy. We've shared some of that on the Midgard Facebook page. Um, so there's a lot of cartography because that's always an early thing. It takes a long time to sort of nail that down. Uh, we're also updating uh, Midgard to 5th edition. We're going to have um, a lot of 5th edition content. Uh, and we are not letting go of our, our Pathfinder roots there. Um, it will be... Uh, in some way, and we haven't decided if this is one book or two, it's too early to say yet, but it will, uh, the new, the new edition of the Midgard campaign setting will support both, uh, fifth edition D&D &D and, uh, and the Pathfinder RPG. Whoa, that's awesome. That's yeah, really, really great news. Super happy about it. Of course, we're going to have a Kickstarter so that we can make this as lush and gorgeous a book as possible. That will come along probably in the fall when we have a lot more to show, um, you know, five years of changes, we want to roll a lot of that material, add new material to the book. It's going to be 
it's probably going to be a hundred page longer than the, than the first one. <laughs> I, I want to say we're going to you know try to keep the length reasonable, but no, it's probably going to be a four hundred page book. <laughs> well, and of course we'll get the full take on Midgard before the Kickstarter happens, because I assume you'll come on our our wonderful podcast here to uh, to talk about it some more when we're ready for that. Yeah, we're very much in that early. Hey, let's spin it up and see what we what's our planning, right? Totally, totally. But, but for this summer, I will probably have things like an outline and maybe some idea of what we're adding and, you know, examples <laughs> that are more concrete. Like, this is a whole new chapter on X, uh, <laughs> which at the moment is I've got 30 topics and we can't do them all. So I'm, I'm actually, yeah, it's, it's too early to discuss it. But I'll be back on the show absolutely when I have the details and I'm ready to push the launch button. Of course, of course. But for people who may not be familiar, um, give them a little taste. What is Midgard, uh, you know, in one minute? What's the elevator pitch? All right. Well, the elevator pitch is it's a dark world of deep magic with shadow roads and ley lines uh, and magic that works in different ways. Uh, It's a flat earth, um, which is haunted by the fall of an elven empire, the rise of dread walkers through the wastes. Um, let us call them elder gods who are just visiting. <laughs> um, it, uh, it is a European or Eurocentric setting in the core Midgard region with uh, free cities, dwarven raiders and ring mages from the north, icy giant homes, uh, and empire of dragons to the east uh, where the kobolds are proper citizens and humans and other furry races are well they're not all slaves but they're certainly beneath the notice of dragonkin and dragons um, who rule that empire Uh, and it's it's seven sort of regions for different flavors of adventure and well it's seven regions now might be eight or nine later. <laughs> um, we're still talking about which one or two we might add. Uh, the thing about it is uh, it makes some substantial changes to the rules around leyline magic and magical schools. So there's, there's new subsets of that that were published in the Deep Magic book. And the use of leylines and shadow magic and the fae is pretty heavy, right? Um mm-hmm. The ley lines empower magic in interesting ways. The shadow roads allow people to walk um, through very dangerous magical roads from one part of the world to another. Um, those develop because I, I basically forbid teleport in the home campaign. And I'm like, man, we don't want to walk. <laughs> Try griffins. Wouldn't that be cool? No. no. <laughs> Still traveling. It's like, all right, here. There are shadow roads. You can walk them. Cool, that'll be great. But things live on the shadow roads. Oh, Oh, no! (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I love it as a game master because it means any Midgard journey of hundreds of miles, I can always put that temptation in front of my players. You know, there's a shadow road that leads to a town just near there. You could go. And depending on who's playing, right, it's either, hooray, big adventure, or it's, Oh, no. (laughs) Let's not. Let's not risk it. Um, So it has those sorts of unique features. Uh, It has majocracies. Um, The last of the elves rules rules the Grand Duchy. Most of the elves have retreated to another plane. 
Um, and it has its unique races, um, the Gear Forge, the Raven Folk, playable centaurs. It's, it's its own thing and has grown deeper and richer and stranger over time. So um, I think the last five years have taught me a lot about what people like in the setting because you know, when I published it, I had all the backers and patrons and, and fans of the setting saying, yeah, we love this, we love that. Uh, but as it reaches a wider and wider audience, Midgard um, has accumulated new flavors and new mysteries that I kind of want to weave into the whole now. Um, and that, you know, that's just the nature of an organically growing setting over time. It's it's a great setting, first of all. People should totally check it out. Be on the lookout for the campaign guide for the Kickstarter when it drops and everything. Um, we, a couple weeks ago, had the Tabletop Library guys from Frog God Games on. Um, oh, sure. And, and they talked a little bit about how you are involved in their initiative specifically for kind of 5e stuff being sold on their new online store, which is really, really cool. Um, so I assume once this comes out, this might be one of the products people will see on there. What is yeah. so great about Tabletop library uh well tabletop library is is wonderful for a number of reasons part of it is just hey there's another outlet right Mm -hmm. um a place that uh isn't isn't necessarily a publisher's home site like the kobold press store uh and isn't necessarily one of the long-term uh sites like drive-thru um and they're trying to do something new specifically around 5e so uh, tabletop library covers i mean cobalt press was asked to upload a bunch of products early to help with launch because we're one of the larger third-party publishers and we said well, sure we've got a catalog we'd be happy to put those things up and that's all well and good but the the real thing about it is they said well we really want to focus on, on providing high quality material uh for fifth edition D um but we don't want it all to have to go through um you know it Basically, I think what Matt and Bill probably told you was yeah, we don't necessarily want everything to standardize on DMs Guild, uh-huh. right? Um, which is so restricted to the Realms and Ravenloft kind of material, both of which are great, but there's a lot of third-party people who would prefer to own their own worlds and um, – and, and probably do better financially. I know the rates that Tabletop Library pays to publishers and creators are are higher than the rates at Drive Through, uh, and certainly higher than the rates at at the DMs Guild. So anybody who is uh, a game master or putting out their own world I, for Fifth Edition, I would highly recommend that they look at Tabletop Library as a possible outlet. Um, for that and anybody who's just looking to pick up something cool and new um, from a third party publisher they could check out all the 5th edition material at Tabletop Library because yeah, that's that's what they're hammering on they're like that's what we want we want everybody's 5th edition stuff and of course they have like the whole back catalog for Traveler and I think they have Hero System and lots of Pathfinder goodies and you know it will rapidly become a fairly large um, store, and, and I hope it is a successful one. I like to see a little more competition in that space. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is really, really cool to see somebody diversifying that space. It's cool that they're uh, treating their 
publishers who come to them very, very well. Um, you know, that's always a good sign when a company is being uh, giving all they can back to publishers, which makes sense since it's started by a publishing company. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's going to do well. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Six months from now, we'll have a sense of what what people like about it and what people don't like about it, and it'll have its own character, right? Um, online stores are, are a weird thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> they require a lot of maintenance and support, but they've got a great team on it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I look forward to publishing Midgard or Tome of Beasts or 5th Edition Adventures, um, out there on Tabletop Library, and I'll, I'll be linking Cobalt Press products and press releases to it pretty much the same way I would link any Pathfinder release to, you know, hey, there's a sale point on the Paizo store and on Cobalt Press, and it'll just be part of the, the conversation going forward. <laughs> That's really, really cool, which is great. I mean, it's, it's just going to be... Um uh, really good for those guys and obviously wish them the best. And it's great to have a place that is an alternative to, um, you know, what's out there. Competition is not a bad thing in a free market. So no, no, it's a good thing. And I mean, they have the advantage of starting fresh with a new platform software that's, um, you know, current as of 2016, whereas most of the competitors, you know, they, they hit 15 years ago and I have been improving their platform ever since. But, um, Sometimes it's cool to wipe the slate and, and say let's let's try it a different way. Totally. Well, I know I know that you uh, need to get going soon, but before you do, man, ten years, which is amazing, amazing, amazing time to be running a company. Like you said, it's one of the larger third-party publishing companies that's out there for tabletop role-playing games. Uh, so my question for you is, like, looking back, did you ever think? That it would be like this, and then looking ahead, what do you think the next ten years are like for Cobalt? Yeah, well, looking back, I don't think I really. My expectations were like put out a couple of adventures, and it'll be like a sideline, and I will. I had no idea how much I would get into being a publisher. Right? Let me put it that way. I thought this is me being a self-publisher. I'm just going to publish my own writing. I was I had a fairly narrow view of what I was launching ten years ago. I was like, ah, I'm just gonna print my own thing. And that's that. And yet, I mean, all those years I worked on the magazines and other things taught me that collaboration and a crowd, um, and co authors and people contributing stuff I'd never think of are wonderful things, right? Somebody like Richard Pett shows up and says, Here's something I call the ecology of the lich. And I say, Richard, that's awesome. I want to print that in this Cobalt Quarterly magazine. And and people got a giant kick out of it. And the ecology series went on. So over time, I guess I got less self-centered. <laughs> and, um, and it became clear to me that a lot of the joy of Cobalt Press for me has been the joy of discovering new writers, new artists, new cartographers, and working with new uh, creative forces. And then taking that and presenting it to the public and saying, hey, check it out. Anna's done this awesome map for the Southlands. Look at her. It's not like anybody else's. Look how great this is. Um, and being able to share um, you know, the talents of a, a larger and more diverse group has made it way more fun than just well, I wrote my thing and, and I'm done now, right? Yeah. So that that's what I wouldn't have expected. That's what I didn't see like in the first 10 years is just how much it's um, 
it's become its own little community with regular writers and sort of the artists that we uh, we favor and feature on the covers, um, and, and so on. So it's it's kind of grown into a creative community, and that that pleases me tremendously. Um, looking forward to the next ten years. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's lots of great stuff that I think is coming. I mean, the, we mentioned the Midgard. Yeah, it, it's time for a an update kind of edition. It's been five years. What will that look like? I'm certainly looking forward to that. It's at least a year away for it seeing print. I'm excited about it. And I've been excited about Midgard all, you know, since we launched it. But it's it's possible now that it just continues to grow, right? It keeps becoming mm-hmm. a bigger and bigger third-party setting. Um, so that's wonderful to see. Um, I think other things that might happen in the next few years, I think Cobalt Press is kind of just barely at the edge of people in other countries are noticing that there's this thing in tabletop right, gaming, right? Cobalt, right? Like we did a, a Chinese edition of the Cobalt Guide to World Building um, last year, and now in a week or two, there's some German editions of Cobalt Guides to Board Games and World Building, and a couple others uh, coming out. I'm like, what? Uh, this work is coming <laughs> in translation. What other books might people be looking at? Um, you know, will there be? Midgard campaign setting in French or Spanish, right? Would that happen? I don't know. It would happen in the next 10 years. I think that would be very cool. Um, I think we'll find some new writers and some new authors. We're always going to have new contests to try and find new talent. And, you know, in the last 10 years, I can probably point to a dozen or more people who got their first credits at Cobalt Press, and I can say some of them. Uh, that was their first and only credit, and they were pleased. And <laughs> others, I could say that was their first credit, and oh my goodness, they have a career. Um, and who knows who I'll meet in the next 10 years, right? The Cobalt Creative Community is just going to get bigger. Um, I'd love for it to uh, just keep growing. And you know, it wouldn't hurt. I, I would go out on a limb and say, 10 years from now, uh, you won't just be talking to me. You'll be talking to me and, you know, a full-time art director and uh, maybe our community manager. And there, it would be nice to think that there's like a staff for Cobalt Press <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to a consortium of freelancers and part-time and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my dreams aren't massively huge. But I suspect we will uh, we will have made a really good run. Maybe we'll do another Wizards of the Coast product in the next 10 years, right? That might happen. That'd be awesome. Partnership with Paizo, the way we did Shore to Sea. Mm. Um, yeah, so all of those things are open. And I think longer Cobalt Press is around. Um, longevity and survival sometimes is all it takes to get noticed. Um, putting out good product certainly doesn't <laughs> doesn't hurt good games and good books um but just having been around for five years people say oh all right it's not just a short-term thing it's 10 years maybe we'll do something with these folks maybe we'll do a set of minis right maybe we'll do a board game um i don't know that's all a great mystery but i look forward to finding out what's out there what sorts of projects other people bring um part of me is still the 
you know, that kid who would read the slush pile for Dragon Magazine and say, what gems are in it today? Now the slush pile is more like, what are people pitching me for Cobalt Press, right? Does somebody want to do a line of miniatures? Great. Does somebody want to do the board game? I would happily partner with Fantasy Flight on that. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe now I really am dreaming big, right? Let's put that right next to the Star Wars Armada box. That's <laughs> That would be great. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's out of touch. Uh, you know, I, I think that you could definitely do those things. I think those are all very, very achievable and certainly something a company as that puts out as many great artisan, I would say, products as Cobalt Press does, um, you know, should be able to achieve those things. Uh, yeah, we want to keep, like, want to keep a certain focus we want to keep high standards on the core role-playing stuff but i think probably it's time to branch out into a couple of other things right we've tried minis once before with eastern front and it didn't work out um so that seems like a likely direction we'll go um a board game is not a you know card game those all seem like tabletop hobby things that we could try and and might be fun to experiment with otherwise uh, maybe we'll finally get to the far eastern realms in Midgard. That would be cool too. But man, doing setting books, let me tell you, every time I do something like Southlands, I'm like, okay, nobody talked to me about doing another setting book for two years at least. <laughs> there's just so much creative energy and work and, and struggle to get it right um, that goes into one of those that uh, I don't know, companies who manage to put out these giant masses of awesome, awesome uh, source books. Uh, it's I know what a what a tough road that is to keep the quality high. So we're we're gonna we're gonna space it out at a level where we can do the best work we can do uh, and not rush things. Well, that's awesome, and I look forward to seeing the quality products. I look forward to you uh, coming on to uh, to talk more about it. And uh, speaking of giving people their first role-playing game credits. Uh, the Tome of Beasts is uh, yeah. coming out soon. Got a lot of cool backer monsters in there. Uh, yeah, well 20 backer backers monsters. with awesome monsters. I had to start sharing a few of those soon. <laughs> they're awesome. Yes, yeah, they're they're super, super cool. Being part of the playtest for all of this has been uh, exciting, so I think people should, if they didn't contribute to the Kickstarter, which was a massive success, they should definitely find this book when it comes out. It's I, I can't wait I feel like I've reused every monster in the monster manual two or three times at this point. So I'm ready for for 400 new ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are. Um, the buzz I've been hearing from um, hobby game owners, right, game store owners, and from players has been, oh, my goodness, I'm so ready for this. So, um, yeah, we're shipping it as, as soon as we can. It'll be out this summer. We're, we're hammering on it, playtest-wise, art-wise, it's, it's getting there. And every time I look at it, I say, you know, this is one of those where everything's firing on all cylinders. There's less of a sense that, uh, you know, some projects just require <laughs> a, an enormous amount of work and you don't feel like you see the results. And this requires an enormous amount of work and it feels like, wow, it just keeps shining. <laughs> it looks good. Um, and the playtest reports are... I know this sounds weird. I have like this pessimism about playtest that every playtest report is going to be this sucked. I didn't like this, and it was a TPK or this monster was a pushover. Right? Like playtesters are always looking for something to beat mm -hmm. up on. Um, they don't just run the monster; they run the monster while 
thinking very hard about it, right? Is this really – am I enjoying this? Um, and if not, it's the monster's fault. Um, but what we got in the playtest reports for Tome of Beast was a lot of like – a third or half the playtest reports came back and said, wow, that monster was a blast. I would run that again. <laughs> and I'm like, we're, I, I'm just waiting for the, you know, but. There's no but. It's like, no, oh, that was a great monster. Good job. Like, <laughs> All right. This is a very positive playtest experience. And then the next one comes along and says – uh, this guy totally TPK'd my party. <laughs> but, but that's why we do it, right? It's it's like the positive feedback really makes it easier to keep working and, and really push this thing as, as hard as we can to make it um, uh, an outstanding volume that people turn to again and again. So we're, we're not done, but we're getting there. And uh, it's, I can't wait to show it to people this summer. Nice, nice. That is, well, I can't wait to check it out. Uh, when you do open the book, check out a little monster called the Corpse Mound in there. That's uh, like the best monster. <laughs> Who wrote that one? I don't know. Some cool guy. Some cool yeah. guy submitted that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you. And and so for opportunities like that, you that you've been giving uh, not just to me, obviously, but to tons and tons of people, and the opportunities that will be there in the future for tons and tons of designers, and for all of the amazing products that make our game better. Thank you so much for all the work that you have done these past 10 years. It is an amazing body of work that you should be very, very proud of. Well, thank you, but I couldn't have done it myself, and it's it's just an honor and a delight to uh, to be part of the gaming community and keep seeing people have a good time with it and come back for more. So thank you to every one of our customers, our playtesters, everybody who's chipped in, brainstorming ideas, our artists, cartographers. Oh, man, play me off. It's time for the Oscar music. It's, uh, it's you know, it's not a one-man show anymore. I guess that's what's changed in 10 years. It's really a lot of people who make it click and make it happen. And and I couldn't be prouder of, of how we've done over 10 years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will certainly uh, be talking again, I'm sure, over the next 10 years, Wolfgang. So uh... Yeah, sometime. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for having me on. Um, it feels like a real milestone, and uh, and I'm happy to happy to celebrate it with folks. Check out the sale. Awesome, awesome. Yes, and we'll link everything we talked about in the show notes over at thetomeshow.com. Wolfgang, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And before we go, there's a quick final segment we've started doing here on the roundtable. Every week, we're highlighting a different DMs Guild product. This week's highlighted product comes from Cobalt Press. It's called Frozen Castle, Expanding Tyranny of Dragons. Expand your Tyranny of Dragons game with this awesome supplement for less than the price of a pack of magic cards. It's only $2.99. The loss of Skyreach Castle in Horde of the Dragon Queen was a major setback for the Cult of the Dragon, but still only a setback. The Cult is determined to retake the castle and claim Tiamat's lost treasure buried in its frozen walls and cloud stuff vaults, but they aren't the only ones. Giants and creatures of the frozen wastes wish to claim that wealth for themselves. This 5e adventure is designed for 10th and 11th level characters and set in the Forgotten Realms. It's written by the amazing designer Alexander Winter. There's a direct link to Frozen Castle from Cobalt Press over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Check it out. 
Thank you to my panelists, Wolfgang, Steve, and Brandon. All right, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition DMD world that I'm building over at worldbuildersblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your 5e games over there, plus links to all my free or pay-what-you-want DMs guild products. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. Thanks to Jeff Reiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.